I haven't completely lost my mind. I know this is the topic that I talked on last time, so don't worry about it. It's not going to be a full repeat. There's just some more to that story that was intriguing to me, and I hope you enjoy it as we we dive in and, and look at it a little bit more. If you'll remember, and if you were here last time that we talked, we talked about this poor wise man that uh, Solomon refers to in the book of Ecclesiastes and and talks about this man in the in the way that he had great admiration for him and and uh, in all his wisdom he was very impressed with this man and and what this man had done and uh, we talked about uh, that in the context of some some pretty simple surface kind of value lessons that we could learn from that man uh, the fact that that he was wise and and what exactly wisdom was is the application of knowledge it's it's learning from our experiences. It's taking the experiences and the knowledge that we have and making use of those things in our decision making. And uh, this man obviously had that quality. And uh, we looked at that in terms of, of, his, uh, of the way that he looked at riches and money. He was a poor man. He didn't need riches in order to be wise. Uh, and we certainly don't either. But if we do have riches and we do have wealth, we have to be wise about the way we use that and approach that and those kinds of things. We talked about it in terms of how we help others and view helping others and seeing those in need and, and giving them um, assistance in any way that we can, whether that's monetary or physically or spiritually or whatever the case may be, uh, providing help and aid to them. And then we talked about it in terms of being humble. The poor man wasn't remembered. He wasn't... Uh, lifted up high and given a position of authority and power in that land. He just did what he needed to do. Uh, he helped and delivered that city, and then he went back to, to his life. And he was humble about that. He didn't need that, uh, that praise and that exaltation, and neither do we. We must approach our lives to be, to be humble. But I can't help but read that story and not see a picture of Jesus emerge. And, you know... When Brother Soto was here, he talked a lot about shadows in the Old Testament. And when we did our studies in the, in the first few books of the Bible, we talked a lot about the shadows and the, the things that, that uh, were images of, of Jesus and images of the New Covenant and images of, of the Christian dispensation of time that were written long, long ago. And the Bible tells us that the law has a shadow of those things. Not the very image, but a shadow of those things. And uh, I think there's a shadow of Jesus in this story, and that's what I want to visit with you tonight. Let's reread the story uh, in Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, verses 13 through 15. Solomon says, This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and few men within it. And there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in, a, in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered the same poor man. So this is the story. This poor wise man uh, lives in the city. A great king comes and besieges the city, builds entrapments around it. Nobody can get in or out. And then there's this little poor man living there. And he comes up with this great scheme, this great plan, this great idea. And he delivers the city out of the hand of that king. Now they weren't able militarily to go against this king. They weren't able to take up their swords and battle this king. They didn't have the power to do that. 
And so somehow he used his wisdom. We don't get the full picture. I said last time, I really wish I knew what he, what he did. The strategy that he used, it must have been brilliant in order to get the city out of the hands of this king. But whatever it was, it worked. And once it worked, everybody just went back to their own life and forgot about the man. So as we think about that, what are the shadows of Jesus in this story? Well, first of all, we see the little city. You know, Jesus came from a little city, and, and we celebrate, you know, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, and we see uh, around Christmas time these scenes of the manger in Bethlehem, and, and I don't know if that's what it's referring to, the little city. It could be, but uh, the Bible tells us in uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, a prophecy of Jesus, uh, but thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. You know, Bethlehem wasn't a major city in Judah. It wasn't a capital city. It wasn't a populous city. In fact, it was very, very small. And there wasn't much there. But Jesus emerges out of that city. That's the city that God chose for our Savior to be born in. And that ought to tell us something. Again, the story of this poor man really has a lot to do with humility. When you break it down, Jesus had very, very humble beginnings on this earth. Nothing impressive. Nothing flashy. He was born in Bethlehem. But as I think about it more and more, I think the little city in this story is really in reference just to this world in general. And you say, well, how can the world be a little city? And again, it's about humility. It's about our place. What is our place? Well, the psalmist thought our place was relatively small in the big scheme of things. This is what David said in Psalms 8 and verses 3, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. Psalmist said, what are we? I mean, look at the universe. Look at the creation of God. Look at all the things that God set into place. And all the wonders of his mighty hand. And what are we? That God would visit us. That God would send his Son to us. That God would make a plan for us. You see, we're pretty small in the midst of the universe. We're pretty small. It's a humbling thing to consider. So the king comes against the city. The king comes against the world. And that king, Satan. You know, we don't often give Satan the title of king, do we? That's a title reserved for those that we honor, those that we uh, respect. But I, I'm going to tell you, well, to have some respect for Satan... Not that we would honor him or glorify him, but we certainly ought to have some respect. Because just like that king came against that little city, it was no match. It was no match for him. The king built great bulwarks around it, entrapments, places to get people that was trying to get out. You see, he had it fully and completely fortified. And let me tell you something. You just look around and you see Satan has got this place fortified. He's got the world fortified. And they do His will every day. And even Christians do the will of Satan 
because we're unrighteous. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. It says, in whom the God of this world. The God of this world. Now that's a little G, yes. But he's a ruler. He's a ruler in this world. That's Satan. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. He's blinded us. He's blinded the people of the world. He's entrapped us. He's made great bulwarks around this place so that there's not a way out. We're trapped by Satan. Satan's got us right where he wants us. And there's just not any way out other than Jesus. In Ephesians 2 and 2 it says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So he's called a prince. The Bible itself calls Satan a god and a prince. The god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And he's entrapped us. It says that we walked according to his course. We walked according to his will. We did the things that he wanted us to do. How does Satan have you trapped today? Take just a moment and reflect on your life and the ways that Satan has entrapped you and the things that he's gotten you to do that you, number one, know are wrong or the things that he's prevented you from doing that you know are right. What are those things? You know, I know what they are in my life. I don't know what they are in your life, but I'm sure that they're there because he has that kind of power. He's been doing it for a long time. He came on the scene right after uh, mankind was created and he tricked Eve very, very quickly and very, very efficiently. He's been doing it ever since. His methods have changed, I guess, over time. You know, sometimes he's not nearly as direct as he was with Eve. No, he just flat out told Eve, no, nah, you won't surely die. To us, sometimes today, he doesn't come out and say it quite so clearly. But he's just as subtle and he's just as convincing. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 says, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Jesus told Peter, Satan desires you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan takes people at his will. When he's ready to take somebody, he takes them. And he has these snares set, these bulwarks, these entrapments. And he's doing a good job of causing us to fall off the path. Of causing us to walk away differently than we should walk. And let me tell you something, folks. We'd be in a lot of trouble if it wasn't for Jesus. We'd be in a lot of trouble if it wasn't for the poor wise man that came to this earth. We'd be in a lot of trouble if God hadn't decided in due season that it's time to send Jesus. There'd be no way back. Satan would take us and pick us off anytime he wanted. He's done it. He's done it to every one of us. Before we came to Christ, before we came to the knowledge of the truth, before we obeyed the gospel, Satan had us right where he wanted us. Some of us may have thought we were doing fine without Christ. Some of us may not have even known who Christ was. But whatever the case may be, Satan had us right where he wanted us. He had trapped us. 
And there wasn't any way out. Here's this great king that's come against this little city. And he's put these traps and these bulwarks up and there's no way out. And then here comes Jesus. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of Jesus to deliver us. When it looked like there's no way out. When it looked like there's no hope. The deliverance came. Jesus was definitely poor as he lived on this earth. Luke chapter 9 and verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I want you to imagine that for a minute. The Son of God who had sat in heaven. I don't know if you need a pillow in heaven. <laughs> I don't know. You may not even need one. It may be so comfortable that you don't have to have one. But he comes down to this earth and he don't even have a rock to lay his head on. He said that fox has a hole that it can crawl into at night. But I don't even have that. He had nothing. Jesus lived in poverty on this earth. Poverty. He didn't have anything. No possessions to amount to anything. Barely enough to get by. He had to turn fishes and bread. He had to multiply those things just to have enough to eat. Just so he and his followers would have enough to eat. Didn't have anything. He was poor. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty. Might be rich. We think about riches in terms of money. And we were talking about some big ranches. And some big uh, big landowners before the, the service started, the amount of money that's out there and the riches that, that exist. Jesus was rich in a way we can't imagine. He was in heaven. That's real riches. That's the riches we seek to obtain, treasures in heaven. And he had all that, every bit of that. It says he gave it up for your sake. Why? Because Satan had you. Satan had you. He had grasped you, he had trapped you, and there was no way for you to get out except for Jesus give up his riches. Jesus gave up his inheritance, and he came down to this earth and lived in poverty and went hungry and didn't have good shoes to put on and didn't have a place to lay his head at night. He did all that for you. And ultimately, he would die. They would hang him up on a cross, and they would... Slam a crown of thorns on his head. And they would nail nails in his hands and in his feet. And they'd watch him hang there and suffer. Because Satan had you. Satan had me. And that had to happen. Think about that poor wise man that delivered the city. How did he do it? I don't know, but I know how Jesus saved us. I know how Jesus saved us. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Because Jesus wasn't poor only, but he was wise. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 and 23. It says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, listen, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God incarnate. He's the wisdom of God come down to this earth. He's the wisdom of God to figure out how to deliver you from Satan. To deliver that little city. To deliver your very soul out of the hand of the devil. Jesus came down. 
And Jesus lived perfectly. And Jesus hung on a cross and he shed his blood for you. That's the wisdom of God. And Christ was that. He lived that. He embodied that. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know that song Zane led right before the lesson said, Who could have thought that a lamb could deliver the souls of man? The wisest man to ever live, I suppose. The poor wise man. That was his plan to deliver the city. Send the lamb. Send the lamb. And the lamb delivered us right out of the hand of Satan. He delivered us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. There was no other way for you. There is no other way. Except he come down here and he take his, your sins in his body. He took every sin you've committed, he put them in his body. And he answered for those sins as he hung there on the cross. And as God turned his back on him, on his own son, so that you could be drawn nigh. So that you could be delivered out of the snare of the devil. Colossians 1 and 13 puts it very clearly. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Jesus delivered us. You owe your life to him. You owe your life to Him. And He did that by the Gospel. We read this verse, read this verse often. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that Je- that. That which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Like I said, I don't know how the poor wise man that Solomon talked about delivered the city. But I don't know exactly how Jesus delivers you and I. and He does it by the Gospel. We're told that. We're taught that. Obedience to the Gospel through being buried with Him in baptism saves us. Puts us in good standing with God and with Christ. There's no other way out. Satan's got you. Until you're willing to do that. Satan's got you. He's laid the trap. And you've stuck your hand in. Been trying to trap some raccoons in the backyard. They come up and they eat our cow feed. They eat our little expensive supplement that we feed those things. And they just love that stuff. They're not very smart. Set a little trap up and put a little dab of that in the back. Every night you got a coon. That's what Satan does to us. He just puts that little bit out there and boom, we're in there. I don't open the trap for them. When I go find them, I'm going to take the gun down there and they're going to get buried somewhere. But here comes Jesus for you and he opens the trap up and he lets you out. He does that by the gospel. That's how you get out of the trap. That's how you get away from Satan. 
But you know the sad part of that story was that nobody remembered that poor man. Nobody remembered him. You remember Jesus today? It seems kind of funny that I would talk to a group of Christians about not remembering Jesus. You say, yeah, I remember Jesus. I remembered him this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, when he had given thanks, he broke it. said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We come around the table once a week, and we, we do, we remember. We break that body. And I appreciated Brother Britt's comments this morning about us needing to reflect at that time and not be distracted by, by an awkward pause, but to take advantage of that pause and remember and reflect. That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's a tool God's given us to keep us in the kingdom. That's a tool God's given us to help keep us on the, the straight path, the narrow way that, that we need to follow. But how much other, uh, how much time otherwise do you spend in remembrance of Jesus? How much time do you spend thinking about the fact that he's let you out of the trap? How much time do you spend thinking about the fact that he gave up his riches and lived a life of poverty and torture for you? James chapter 1 and verse 25 says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deeds. Are we forgetful hearers? Do we hear the word and hear, hear Jesus expounded to us and then go our way and forget? And not think about him anymore until maybe we gather around the table again or, or maybe something spurs our minds to it. We just don't think about it otherwise. How could we forget Jesus? First Peter 1 and 9 says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know, the previous verse there talks about us adding to our faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and so on and so forth. Adding these things. And it says if you lack these things, then you're blind and you've forgotten. If we're not constantly working towards perfecting our lives, if we're not constantly working towards growth and drawing near to Jesus, then we're forgetting. It'd be a shame to forget Jesus. You know, it's easy... Uh, as dad talked about this morning, to look out at some of the things going on in the world and to point fingers and say, man, it's bad. It's real bad. It's harder to look at yourself, to reflect on your own life and think about your own self. I, have you ever forgotten Jesus? Why do you live the way you live? What motivates you to do or not do? The things that you do or do not do in your life. Are you doing that for yourself? It's kind of the culture that, that has been created in the world. It's all about me. And I'll do what I want when I want. Are you doing it for your family? You know, that seems like noble mo uh, motivation, doesn't it? To act right and to be example for your family. Bottom line is you're doing it for Christ. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, if you love your family, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love yourself, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, Christ is the reason for our motivation, or at least should be. Remember Him. Remember He's the one that gave the commands. Remember He's the one that redeemed you from your sin. Remember it's for Him. It's for Jesus. In the 103rd Psalm in verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. There's one more thing you should never forget, and that's the gift of heaven. The gift that He set forth, all of His benefits. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget His benefits. Don't forget all those things. So, the shadow of Jesus in this little story of the poor wise man. A little city. Whether you want to look at that as Him being born in the little city of Bethlehem or whether you want to look at us as being very small and insignificant. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that, that uh, we shouldn't worship God as, as though He needs anything from us. No, God doesn't need us. God's given us opportunity. God's extended to us opportunity. He doesn't need us. We're small. We're small in the face of God. The king coming and that being Satan coming to this world and trapping you, involving you in sin, plaguing you with sin, and then Jesus coming and offering that deliverance. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page.